Today's reading is from 1 John, chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, and it's page 1225 in your pew Bibles. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Well, we are starting a new series in 1 John. If you're completely confused about where we are in the Bible, we're not in John's Gospel. We are in 1 John, 1 John, John's first letter. Um, if you haven't got it open in front of you, the easiest way to find it is you start at the back of the Bible, you go through Revelation, Jude, and then 3 John, 2 John, 1 John, Thunderbirds ago. Um, I may have put that reference in for the boys. Um, uh, I'm going to try and, um, when I planned this sermon series, I was kind of hoping against hope I'd get to, to preach the whole series. Um, I'm only going to get to preach this one. Um, but I think this is such a relevant, such an urgent letter for our day. Uh, let's, um, I'm sorry if this is a bit close to the bone. Uh, let's, I mean, the, Bible, the Bible only ever goes close to the bone, doesn't it? Uh, we're, we're, we're always we're always dealing with live ammunition when we open the Bible. There's no, there's no drills. There's no, um, there's no uh, playing with blanks. Um, Wilson James split. Is St. James going to split? Will the benefice split? I mean, there's a sense in which it's kind of already starting to happen in some ways. Is there a way it can be avoided? Will the church be able to hold together? So in the Church of England nationally, there are fundamentally two different gospels at play. Um, one is uh, the um, message of the inclusive, tolerant, affirming Jesus who will say no to no one and nothing. The other is the message of the Lord, our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who is the, the master, saviour, very best friend of all who love him, all who repent and believe his good news. Fundamentally, those are two different gospels. They are, it is inherently unstable to try and hold the two of them together. And what is happening at the national level trickles down to the local level. Stephen Pratt, I think, said to the, the preaching team a couple of weeks ago, stay together, stay together. And I want to try and put legs on that. Um, by, by which I mean I want to just try and unpack that because I, I'm pretty sure Stephen didn't mean and the New Testament certainly never means stay together at all costs. That's, that's not the, the New Testament's message. How is unity possible? How um, can it happen? Why does it matter? Uh, is, it, is it possible? And in 1 John uh, verses 1 to 4 and, and all of chapter 1, that question is very much in focus and the word that's used is fellowship. And if you've been around churches for a while, you've probably heard people talk about a time of fellowship. Because when, we, you know, when we're going to have a cup of tea, and um, you know, not, not at St. James, but in lots of churches, you've kind of got a slightly stale biscuit that, that come, kind of comes around, definitely no chocolate on it. Um, you know, that's a time of fellowship. 
And that's not how the New Testament uses the word. It's, it's a good thing to do, um, but it's, it's, it's not that we have a time of fellowship. It is that we are a fellowship. It is that we have fellowship. Fellowship is an incredibly strong word in the original language. It, it refers to, uh, it's often used to refer to marriage. Um, if you are, it's a kind of partnership word. If you and an old friend together decide you're going to sink your life savings into a joint business venture, you are in fellowship in the biblical sense of the word. And um, if you have been part of a church for any length of time, my guess is you will know what a wonderful thing that is. For many of us, our, our closest, most precious friendships, some of our happiest memories, our most joyful times come from, from being part of a fellowship united together in the gospel of the Lord Jesus. And unsurprisingly, I, I think it doesn't feel like we're a very joyful church at the moment. And on, off the back of lots of conversations, there is rightly much grief, much sorrow and I think that's unsurprising. I think our unity has been under attack in all kinds of ways over the, the last few months. And so when um, John writes in um, verse 4, he's telling us, uh, we, we write this to make our joy, or possibly your joy, complete. Um, that's something to make our ears prick up, isn't it? How can our joy be complete? I, I was talking to the great Sean Morris about the sermon in the week, and he said, um, he said, we said well, if I was preaching it, I would hit joy hard which was an unfortunate turn of phrase. He wasn't talking uh, about our good friend at the Methodists. He was talking about, that this is a sermon about, uh, and a passage about joy. How do we pursue joy? How do we know joy? How, do, how can our joy be restored? Um, and uh, it's worth perhaps just pausing and thinking about what doesn't work to hold uh, and restore joy and unity. You can just think about it over our, from our experience over the last few months. There are so many good things that are not enough to build joy upon. Um, so uh, you cannot build unity institutionally. We know that, don't we? We say we're, we're all under the same bishop, we're all under the same vicar, we're all under the same PCC. It doesn't work. Your structures are not enough to grant you unity. And in, in any organization in and of itself. Um, uh, what about um, you know, tradition? To be able to say there's, there's been a church here at St. James for 800 years. It's not enough to build a fellowship on. Not in the biblical sense. Uh, friendships, we've been worshipping together 50 years, uh, 30, 40, 50 years. It's not enough to build a fellowship on. So imagine um, you know, 800 years ago when, when, when people were building the building. I, I don't know very much about buildings. I kind of just, I ask Philip and he kind of, you know, tells me what I need to know. But I mean, I, I do know when you start building a building, especially something this size, you don't just start putting bricks on top of each other. You need foundations. So if 800 years ago they just kind of poured in some rack concrete or marshmallow or whatever, whatever people use today to build buildings on, um, you know, we would be pretty nervous today. It's not a strong enough foundation to, to hold a building together. What is strong enough to hold a church fellowship together? Um, I have um, uh, three Sundays left at St. James. I have very little ability to influence what happens after I, I leave. Um, it's probably not right that I try to. But what I can do, I think, is give us some theological categories to think in as we approach this, um, these questions that are, are facing us over the interregnum. Um, it, it, we're not gonna be able to get away with just papering over the issues. 
So as if kind of if we just don't talk about same-sex marriages, all these issues will disappear. How are we going to deal with this? Um, I'm going to come to that in just a um, couple of moments. First, I want to just help us get our bearings very briefly in, in 1 John. Um, it is a letter written by John the Apostle, um, almost certainly the same person who wrote John's Gospel. Um, he is uh, the disciple Jesus loved. There are hints in this, these letters that he is now an old man but still with a steely um, conviction in, in the gospel of love and truth. He's, he writes very differently to the apostle Paul. If you're used to reading Paul, Paul is very linear. He kind of sets out arguments and, and there's a kind of very clear structure to them. John is much more circular. He goes round and round the same issues. John Stott talks about being, being like a spiral staircase in an art gallery. You're, you're going somewhere, you're going up, but as you go around, each time you go around, you, you, you're seeing these priceless treasures from a slightly different angle. So he's watch out for the issues that he keeps circling back to through the letter. Um, and it's so relevant. He's writing to a church in a storm. Here he's, he's writing to a church that has already split. And the arguments are, are about what is the gospel? What is the place of the Bible? How do love and obedience go together? There were people in, in John's day claiming special secret knowledge. The world had moved on from you know, when the apostles first wrote down their letters 40, 50 years earlier. Uh, society has changed. Things have moved on. We need to update the Bible in the light of new knowledge in, in our society, in our culture. That word knowledge is very significant in 1 John. And uh, uh, people were, were, were kind of talking about, well, what is, what is the relationship of love and obedience? People may be saying love is love, and John says no, love is much more wonderful than, than we realised. Um, don't assume we know what it is. And he pushes back on the kind of divisions that we, we see even in our day coming into Christianity. So people say, well, look, um, over there you've got the kind of really nice, the lovely people. They're big on love. Over here you've got the people who are really clear thinkers. That for, for them it's all about about doctrine it's about truth they're the truth people there's the people who are the practical get on with it people over there they're the kind of obedient people who do stuff and and john says you can't you can't divide the gospel up like that you can't divide the church up like that and we established last week uh, if you were here that um, dog walkers are, are pretty weird um i was one way to alienate nine tenths of the village um but i mean let's let's imagine that that we kind of uh, they're not that weird. Let's imagine yesterday when it was a blazing hot day. Wasn't it? I was anyone, anyone kind of just roasting yesterday, um, and and you kind of went. Imagine you go for a, go out and you see um, two neighbours out for a dog walk, and one of them is wearing this enormous duffel coat, and then the other one is is carrying this massive megawatt tor- mega candle what what are they, whatever they're called torches, uh, and and it's, what are you doing? And one of them says, well, I'm, I'm a kind of light sort of person. And my f- friend here, um, they're, um, they're a kind of warmth sort of person. So I've, I've got the, the sun's light, so I need the coat, because I'm, I'm, otherwise I'll be cold. And, and they've got the sun's warmth, and they need the torch, because otherwise they'll be in the dark. And so do, do you even understand what sunshine is? You can't, have, you can't have the sun's heat without the sun's light. And on a day like yesterday, you, you don't get to choose. Same comes when we deal with the living God, the God who is love and who is light. 
It's not like we can choose whether we want his compassion or his truth. We, we have both given to us. And John, John says, walk in the light. Well, um, that's my kind of very quick overview of kind of where some of, some of the issues in, in 1 John. Um, uh, let's come back to this question. What are, um, is there a solid foundation that we can build a, a joyful fellowship on? Um, and John says there is. Verse 3. We proclaim to you what we've seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Um, let's see, there we go. Uh, there we go. Um, there's a kind of logical kind of structure to this, uh, this passage. Um, I'm going to try and set it out like this. First off, mind-blowing, we can have fellowship with God. So maybe you come this morning and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian and, and you're kind of new to Christian things and someone says to you, well, what do you think Christianity is about? What are the word associations? Maybe it's beautiful old buildings. Maybe it's traditions. Maybe it's religious rituals. Maybe it's a connection with the past. Maybe it's being a good person. Uh, and uh, uh, maybe you're a Christian and you kind of know the right answer is something to do with God, but what does it mean to be a Christian? Functionally, day to day, it's become about meetings. It's become about rotors. It's become about interregnums, archdeacons, quinquennials, and words that no one in the real world should ever have to use. Um, so so what, what is it to be a Christian according to the Apostle John? It is to have fellowship, verse 3, with the Father and the Son. We, we might add, by the Spirit. See, if the Bible is true, there is a God in heaven who has made the entire universe with a word. Down, in, down in, in Dorset a couple of weeks ago, just beautiful, clear skies. We look up, see the, the Milky Way. And James is getting really into um, astronomy and whatever kind of nerdy space facts I want to know, James, James can tell me them. Um, so there are uh, apparently 100 billion stars in the Milky Way. And I don't know if this is how angels talk, but can you imagine at creation an angel turning, turning to God and saying, God, it's kind of sarcastically, God, do you, do you think you've made the universe big enough? Do you, think, do you think they'll get the idea by now? A hundred billion stars in their galaxy. Are you, are you sure you've made yourself clear enough? And God says, well, okay. I'll just make another two trillion galaxies just to make the point. In the, that's in the observable universe. Goodness knows how many there are uh, beyond that. Uh, and, uh, uh, and it's... Um, it's quite lovely. Like the, the, the boys, sometimes this is very cute. Um, the boys have just have picked up the word infinity. And, and they, 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 they use it as if it's a number. It's, it's, and sometimes at its best, it's really sweet. So, you know, I love you. I love you too. I love you three. Well, I love you infinity. And sometimes it's just kind of point scoring. You know, I'm, I'm infinity times cleverer than you. And I'm, and I'm trying to explain that infinity is not a number, it is a concept. It means there is no finitude. It means there are no limits. And our brains can't get around that. How, how, can, how can there be a God who has no limits on his compassion, on his power, on his goodness, on his wisdom? Um, same same with, with, with eternity. I remember writing in, a, in an essay when I was at uh, Theological College, um, I wrote a, an essay for a, my tutor who was a very kind of um, sharp theologian. I wrote, there was never a time when God was not. And I was quite pleased with that sentence. And he marked it as wrong. And well, what do you mean? He said, he said, no, it's not that there was never a time when God was not, because time is 
uh, something that God has created. You should have said there never was when God was not. And I still don't understand that sentence. If anyone can explain it to me later, I'll be so grateful. My, my head can't get around that. How do we deal with a God where we're kind of almost our starting point is the things we can say that he is not. He is immortal. He cannot die. Invisible. We cannot see him. God only wise. He's the only one who's, who's in a kind of category of his own, in light, inaccessible, hid from our eyes. <coughs> and astonishingly, John says, you and I, this random species in an unimportant corner of an unspectacular galaxy, you and I can be in the closest possible relationship. We can be in fellowship with the living God. Closer than a marriage, closer than a, the closest business partnership. We can be in fellowship, verse 3, with the Father and with his Son. That ought to blow our minds. And how is that even possible? Well, we can have fellowship with God. This is, this is astonishing because God became a man. Here's, here's the logic that there were 30 years where it was possible to see God. This kind of interaction, that which was from the beginning, God, which we have heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we've looked at, our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we've seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. So when I was at school, you don't hear it so much these days, but people used to say to me, well, have you ever seen God? As if that was a knockdown argument that had straight away put God in the same category as unicorns and fairies. And the answer to that was, was no. But if I'd lived 2,000 years ago, I could have done. Uh, the, um, my, my Muslim friends, uh, they just are either, when, when, when they kind of understand what we're saying on this, they're either incredulous or horrified or some combination of the two. Are you seriously saying there was a time when God was, was sweaty under his armpits or got blisters on his feet? Are you serious? And there's a kind of, kind of fear of even just kind of articulating this because it sounds so blasphemous. Are you saying there was a time when God went to the toilet? Yes, that is exactly what we are saying. The, there's a, a theologian, um, John Murray, who, who said, John is the New Testament writer who is most insistent on Jesus' physicality, and he is the writer who is most insistent about his transcendence, which is a kind of fancy way of saying, John is the one who is absolutely insistent out of all the New Testament writers that Jesus really is God, and that he really is a man. He, he's not like... He's not God-like. He's not a, a human being who kind of becomes a bit like God. He's not man-like. He's not God kind of pretending to be a man, in disguise as a man. He really is a man. And uh, there is this kind of emphasis on that the real creator has become a real human being. And that is the claim 
that sets Christianity apart from every other worldview, that we can know this, this creator God who is invisible and unknowable, not through mysticism, not through taking drugs, not through meditation, not through leaving our bodies behind, not through leaving our brains behind, not moving to a new plane of consciousness, but because God himself has stepped down into his creation. It's a, a very inadequate analogy, but it's, um, I, I, I heard someone say the other, the other day, I thought this was helpful. Um, yeah, how could Harry Potter know J.K. Rowling? How would that be possible? See, Harry Potter has no idea who J.K. Rowling is. The only way he could know his creator would be if she wrote herself into the story. It's not a perfect analogy by any means, but, but there, is, there is some sense in which God himself has written himself into the story so that we can know him. It is just an extraordinary claim that Christianity at its heart is not, is not some kind of culture war. It's not a philosophy. It's not a worldview. It's not a morality. It's not a tradition. It is at heart a person. What is Christianity? Christianity is Christ. Love is not a feeling. Love is, is not an idea. It's not a concept. Love is a person. He has a name. Isn't that amazing? We can have fellowship with God because God became a man. But can we see the kind of gap in the logic? This is the controversial bit. See, we can, we can know God because of Jesus. How can I know Jesus? I wasn't there. I wasn't around 2,000 years ago. And the answer we get in these verses is we can have fellowship with God because God became a man and because the apostles proclaimed him. Uh, that which was from the beginning which we've heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we've looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. So, so what is the link between me? So if, so if Jesus is the link between us and the, and, and, and the, the eternal God, what is the link between us and Jesus? You see the, the, the question? Uh, the link is the apostles. The apostles who wrote down what they saw and, and touched and, and heard. Um, uh, how do you, um, so, so we kind of say, what does it mean to be a Christian? It means to trust uh, in Jesus. The kind of question behind that is, can we trust the apostles? to know Jesus that all we need is Jesus why are we doing all this kind of theology stuff why are we having all these arguments all we need is Jesus but the question is which Jesus do you need do you need conservatives the Jesus who is kind of tied into right-wing politics the Jesus who looks disapprovingly at you know, men with long hair and women with short hair and, and, kind of, and is just kind of tutting at everyone is that the Jesus we look for? 
Is that the Jesus we need? Do, do, we need? do we need progressive Jesus who affirms and includes everyone and says no to nothing? Do we need hippie Jesus? Do we need Che Guevara Jesus? Which Jesus, out of all the, the thousands of Jesuses on all the different T-shirts around the world, which Jesus do we need? And John says that there is only one Jesus. The real Jesus, the historical Jesus, is the apostolic Jesus, the Jesus who is written about by the apostles. There is no way to know him that bypasses the teaching of the apostles, which is what makes this a different, all these kind of issues we're having about blessing same-sex marriage, they are in a different category to questions about women bishops and, and, or about baptism. I was just um, reading an article by, by a friend last night, kind of tracking the, the, the debates about women bishops. And, and, and those, those arguments and discussions and debates, at their best, were always about what does the Bible say? Now, I, I know what I think about that. You, you probably know what I think about that. We may have different views, but at its best, those, those questions are always about what does the Bible say? The thing is, the way that the debate about, about blessing same-sex marriages has gone is that it, has, it, it, is, it is not about what does the Bible say, it is about whether the Bible is right or wrong. And, and so can we, can we trust what the apostles have written? Can we know Jesus? Uh, uh, there is, the claim that, that John is making here is there is no way to bypass the apostles in knowing Jesus. Uh, that which was from the beginning which we've heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we've looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we've seen it and testified to it. We proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. Follow the logic. And this verse, I think this verse is the verse that spells it out. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us, that's the apostles, and our fellowship is with the Father and with his son, Jesus Christ. Why am I laboring the point? It is because I take it, there is a sense in which this is crunch time. In the coming months, the PCC are gonna have to write the parish profile. And that is a, a statement that is put out for, in, as part of the kind of job ad for my successor. And it says what kind of church we are and what kind of church we want to be. And there are so many different ways that that parish profile could start, aren't there? We could, uh, could, could start um, saying um, uh, St. James uh, is a, uh, a, church, a warm and friendly church. It's absolutely gloriously true. I thank God for what a blessing it has been to us over the last seven years. But if that is the foundation that the church family is built on, it is marshmallow. It's not enough to hold a fellowship together. We, we could uh, have something like, um, uh, we are um, a, uh, a church that has, there's been a church at St. James for over 800 years. Again, it's true, but if that's the foundation that we are built on, it's marshmallow. We could say we are a, a church, a benefice that has decided to stay together despite our differences about what the gospel is. Again, total marshmallow. 
We are a church that is committed to being tolerant, diverse, inclusive, and affirming. Those are all wonderful words that in our current culture mean the opposite of what they say. That is marshmallow with toxins in. If the Apostle John was on PCC, I wonder if he would be okay with saying something like, St. James is a fellowship committed to bringing glory to the Lord Jesus by loving him and obeying his word, the Bible. We want to be an Acts 2 church that is devoted to the Apostles' teaching. We are looking for an Acts 6 pastor who will devote himself to prayer and ministry of the world of the word now pcc needs to find ways of putting that into their their own words but that is a foundation that you can build a fellowship on that is a way that joy can be restored um we have fellowship with the apostles whose fellowship is with the father and the son that is a foundation we can build a fellowship together amen